for that. That was wonderful, Becky. So, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn to James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 is where we'll be today as we talk about playing favorites. And I'll just tell you as we continue, I know last week that I was here, not last week, the Sunday before last it would be, um, I told you that James just likes to, to step on our toes um, in that particular passage. I think it's just going to continue all the way through the book. It's a very um, practical but very difficult book when you really look at it and what God is calling us to do through the words of in the book of James. So we will get to, to that in, in a moment. But I just want to mention again, I, I'm so encouraged by this past week um, and just the work we were able to do being able to go and to, to just serve and to be a part of that. I want to encourage you to be praying about that in the future, whether God would call you to go. go. And that's what the shirts that we have that we're wearing says, called to go. Um, and, and I want to challenge you that we're going to have more opportunities locally, far away, na- inter- in this nation, internationally, to go and to spread the gospel. Uh, and we can find a place for any person that feels called to go. And we just want to encourage you to do that. We would love to have you go and be a part of that with us. So today we're talking about playing favorites in this passage, about playing favorites. And, and I don't know about you, but there are many times as you think about um, playing favorites, you don't like that. It's not something that if, you, if you're not the favorite, it doesn't feel very good. If you are the favorite, you tend to like it, right? So what are some times where we see that people play favorites and you don't like it? You've been in a line where you've been waiting for a very long time, and there's one person in front of you and then all of a sudden, there's about 15 other people that come up, and that person's like, yeah, you can just get right up here in front of me. Yeah, just come on. You've been waiting there for about two or three hours, and then there's all these people in front of you now because they allowed them in. They gave them a special privilege. Or maybe when you were younger, your parents, maybe you had siblings or, or uh, cousins in, in your family or whatever it may have been, and you felt like, you know what, I think my parent just likes my sibling more than me. Maybe you're the oldest. This t- tends to happen. The oldest one lots of times gets gets all the, the harsh penalties, they get all the, the harsh treatment, and then the, the sibling comes and it's like, oh, well, it's okay. Oh, you can stay up late. It's a, or all these things that tend to happen, and you don't feel like it's fair, right? Well, we're going to look at what it means to play favorites in the church and, and how really favoritism is a sin, in particular with the church. We're going to look at that as we get into James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you've dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. 
For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us to gather together to worship you, to sing your praises about how wonderful you are. And God, we pray that you would move. We pray that you would be among us, that you would, be, you would move in this town, in this nation, in this world. We pray that you would move in this service. Move within us, convict us, help us to see how to follow you faithfully. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us, that, that the words that, that you've given us in James will, will be applicable to our lives, <coughs> and that we will take that and apply them to our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. <coughs> Amen. So the first thing we see from this passage, really the, the primary thing we see, is to not show favoritism. Do not show favoritism. And we're going to read, again, these, this, the verses that are dedicated to that, verses 1 through 7. My dear brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with, that, with favor <coughs> and the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith? and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't, blaspheme, don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? So do not show favoritism. And in this passage, we see in particular the, the comparison between the rich and the poor. This idea of favoritism, we've seen this all throughout our lives where someone seems to be the favorite, whether it's your, your household, your workplace, wherever you may be, you have encountered some level of favoritism. It usually doesn't feel good unless you are the favorite. We see this in Scripture from the very beginning, Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 and 4. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age, and he made a long-sleeved robe for him. When his brothers saw that the fa their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Remember what I said about the oldest always feeling maybe like they weren't the favorite? It seems like that's biblical, that the youngest ends up being the favorite. Um, I'm joking in that. But in this passage, that's the truth. Joseph was his father's favorite. It's not saying that's a good thing. It's the way it was. So what does he do? He gives him a special robe gives him a special robe. And his brothers, how do they view it? They hated him. They couldn't bring themselves to speak peaceably with him because they weren't the favorites and his father loved his brother more. So we see this in scripture. We see this in our lives. And, and you may have even seen examples of how this has been played out in churches. Have you ever heard the stories of, of pastors or maybe they dress up or they hire someone to dress up in, in filthy clothes and come and sit in their service and see how they're treated. You ever heard of those stories? And, and sometimes it goes really well. I've seen beautiful pictures of a person that's dressed up outside of a church and, and is poor, and people are trying to help them, trying to invite them in, trying to care for them, trying to love them. 
But on the other side, you also hear the stories of the people that were avoided. Maybe even people that were asked, <coughs> hey, can you sit in the back? Hey, could you, could you leave? You're, you're getting the pews dirty. You're getting the carpet dirty. It's not what we see here in Scripture. So what example does James give? Uh, a rich person coming in with gold rings and fine clothes. Or someone comes in your meeting wearing gold ring and dressed in fine clothes. And a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in. So rich and poor. We see this distinction. Even though it says that we should not make this distinction. We should, we should not show preference. It's the first thing we see. Do not show preference. Because if we show preference, we make distinctions among ourselves. And we do what? We become judges with evil thoughts. If we make distinctions, if we make judgments based upon our own perception, our own thoughts, we become judges with evil thoughts. And the primary distinction in this passage is between rich and poor. And in James, as we will see throughout the rest of this book, the rich are not talked to or talked about very kindly. <coughs> the rich people, this book in particular, are viewed as those who are the oppressors, and those who are doing evil things and often are the cause of the poverty that the poor people experience. Because we see this, he says, Don't the, aren't the rich who drag you into courts? Aren't the rich who blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? The rich are not viewed as good people in this passage. And the poor in this passage are viewed as victims. They are the ones who are subject to what the rich people have done, how they have abused them, how they have taken what they can get and left nothing for those who are poor. And so when we look at this idea, we have to understand and remember the difference in our cultures. We remember that the vast majority of the people we interact with, that most of us would be viewed in this time period as being rich. We have so many things. We have so little want or need in our life because we have been blessed. The, the world we live in is so different than what they were experiencing at this time. Most often, if you will work hard, you will apply yourself, you can avoid abject poverty in our nation. If you will work hard, you will take the opportunities you can find, you can avoid abject poverty. So when we view this, how do we view this? How do we associate this? I think the same truth applies. We cannot show favoritism. And, and we have this within us, don't we? If a person walks in and they look really well put together, it's, there's something within us that is inclined to be welcoming to that person, to be kind. If a person walks in and they're dirty and they don't have very nice clothes on, there's something in us that makes us hold back. You see, the thing that we don't see here is why these people are in these circumstances. We do see a little bit of motive that, that the rich people are, are viewed as greedy. Well, in this world, we do see that often, don't we? Aren't there very many rich people in this world that we can look at and see greed within their life? But there's also many rich people that maybe aren't. Maybe they have good motives, or at least they appear to have good motives. So when we look at our world, what do we learn? That we still should not show distinctions. Maybe the rich person that walks in is one of the kindest people that you'll see, but we still can't show favor to that person over the poor person that walks in. Do you know what else we can't do? We can't justify our responses to these people. Like I, like I said, if that rich person, well, they're a kind rich person. We can be nice to them. We can. We should. 
We should be nice to them. We should be welcoming to them. But when the poor person comes in, when the person that has dirty clothes walks in, we cannot justify our ignoring of that person. We can't justify, oh, what you got for me? There's water. No, they tell you not to do this. I'm going to stick it in my mouth, and it will be... Okay. All right, sorry. When the poor person comes in, we can't draw distinctions or justify our reaction. And that's what we all tend to do, isn't it? If they walk in and they reek of alcohol. If they walk in and we know of their past, we know of their history, and we know why they're in the situation they're in. It's easy to justify the reason we may not show them the same regard we show to another person. But we show no distinction in the way that we interact with people. When we look at our world around us, when we look at rich, poor people we know, people we don't know, whether they're from here, from our nation, from somewhere else, we have to show the same regard to all people. Now, when we talk about this, I want to be clear, this is how we love people and how we interact with people. But when it comes to how we interact within the church and the roles people play, there clearly are distinctions that are made. There's clear distinctions in Scripture, right? We look in the book of 1 Timothy, Paul gives very explicit directions on who should and should not serve as a deacon. Is that favoritism? No. There's a difference between favoritism and qualifications, for roles in the body. There can be favoritism in distinguishing roles within the body, but if you are approaching it the proper way, there will not be. An example, letting the rich man serve in a prominent position with his wealth being a factor. That is favoritism. And that's hard. And that's one of the reasons, I don't know if, if when we've talked, I don't want to know, I want, I want very little knowledge of, of any amount of money any person gives in this church. I don't want to know. Because I don't want that to influence the way I interact with you. Because we're human. We're fleshly. We don't want to interact. We don't want to, if a person does give a lot and they make that known, do you know how much more say that person should have in anything? None. Their wealth has no say or sway, and it shouldn't, within the church. This is not a shareholder meeting. This is not a company where you buy shares with your wealth. This is the body of Christ. So letting a rich man hold a prominent role simply because he's rich is favoritism. We can't do that. Excluding a poor man simply because he's poor is favoritism, and we can't do that. Qualifications determine roles, not worldly favor. Qualifications determine roles, not worldly favor. I want you to imagine we had a, a very skilled secular singer that's not a Christian. They wouldn't say they're a Christian. Come into our church and say, I would like to sing for you all today. I would like to lead worship. I'll sing your songs. Should we allow them to? To lead us in worship? They don't claim to follow Christ. They don't know him. Why would we let them over someone else? Just because of their name, because of their fame? It's favoritism. Are they qualified? Do they hold the roles 
If someone comes to be, they want to be presented as a deacon, to become as a deacon, what do we look at to determine? What does the Bible say we should look at? Not their wealth. Not the, the worldly acclaim they have. Not whether their worldly reputation is good, but do they follow, do they look at, and look like the person described in Scripture that is called to be a deacon? How do we make distinctions? They should be godly distinctions if we make them at all. But when people come into this body, when people come into this church, we should welcome them and love them with open arms. Because the people that Jesus interacted with, the people that Jesus loved, were not people that the religious people at the time interacted with. Jesus was called a drunkard because he hung around people that were getting drunk. He was ministering to people who were lost. He hung out with tax collectors and sinners. It's a way of saying he was around all the wrong people. Why? Because they needed the forgiveness that he was providing. And so when people walk into our midst or we encounter people in our day-to-day life, and there are some people that maybe we, we feel like maybe not that person. It's favoritism that is distinguishing who we want to share the love of God with. So because of that, we see that we need to show proper regard to all. Show proper regard to all. So what does it mean to regard someone or to show regard? One of the most common places we see this in, in our life is that there are certain people that we try to give respect to in our life. Most often when they're deserving of respect, military people, right? When we see someone that we know is in the military, we, we thank them for their service. Or police officers, we're, we're respectful in our interactions with them because of the authority that they hold. And sometimes this even ventures into other places where we don't really know why, or if you really think about it, there's not really a good reason why we give them regard, but we do. Celebrities. Other than being entertaining, what reason should they have a higher regard? But in this passage, it says we should not show favoritism. This means that we should regard all people not just viewing, not just the people we view as special or deserving. James 2.8 says, <coughs> If indeed, indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. What is this proper regard we're supposed to show to all people? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the regard that Christ had for us. Because who's deserving? Who of us in here are deserving of God's love? I'll give you the answer, none. And so when we walk among people, among the world that we live in, and we see a rich person, we see a poor person, we see a person that's got 15 homes that they rent out, we see a person that's homeless, which of them deserves God's love? None. And so if we give to one and we withhold from the other, that is evil. That's what James says. If you make distinctions among yourselves, you have become judges with evil intentions. We can't withhold God's love from people. So what does it look like to love your neighbor as yourself? We know the story, right? How did Jesus answer that question? There was a man that was robbed, left for dead. The priest walked by, the, the Pharisee walked by, 
But the Samaritan, the people the Jewish people hated, stopped, helped him, loved him, made sure that he went about his way. He was the one that was the man's neighbor. I, I was contemplating whether to, to, to share this or not because I know that Bob looked this up because we had the, the, the name on our church bus. And Bob, if you're watching today, I, I, I love you deeply. And I want to share this because I think it's important. When we were stranded there, left for having to get a big, massive bus towed, that would have been a big ticket, right? Bob stopped and asked if we needed help, gave his time. And then when he figured out what the problem was, came the next day after he got off work to fix it for us. And then when he said, if it doesn't work or you get stranded, let me know. I'll come. I have a truck. I could probably tow it to a place it needs to be. Wouldn't let me pay him. And when I got to talk to him, he said, well, I used to go to church, but I don't anymore. I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. You so, so you see, in many ways, Bob was the person that we're on this mission trip for to try to share Jesus with. Because he doesn't have a church home. He doesn't, I, I don't know what his relationship with Christ is, but, but what I can tell you, is that he loved his neighbor as himself. And so we could look at Rochester, and this is what he said to me. He said, well, see, we're not all bad people here. What we see is that if we go and we look and we're like, well, Rochester, there's a lot less people in church. Do you know what that means? There's a lot more people like you and me that haven't gotten to know Jesus yet. That's all that means. They're not worse than us. They're not better than us. They're like us. And so when we go out and we see people that are in whatever walk of life they're in, they're, do you know what they are? They are people just like you and me that have gone down a different path in their life, they've experienced different things, and made different decisions. And here's what I, I hope that you will understand, and it's hard to understand, it's hard to admit about yourself, is but you are no better than any other person. And we'll get to that in just a few moments, but what is it? look like to love your neighbor as yourself the regard that christ had for us this is what it looks like ask yourself how does christ view this person or these people if it's two people like the rich and the poor man how does christ view these people both sinners in need of a savior so how should we regard them as sinners in need of a savior and if we want to love them how do we treat them we don't give the the rich man and feed his pride that's an unloving thing to do. Do you realize that if you show favoritism to the rich, to the wealthy, to the well-off, you are enabling and furthering their sinful life? Right? The, we, we know the, the, the often misquoted saying, it's not money is the root of all evil, it's what the love of money is the roots of all kinds of evil. Why? It makes you selfish. It makes you greedy. It's this level, these sins that are related to money. And so if a person thinks they are something because they have wealth and they come within a service and they are treated as though they are high up and worthy and worthy of respect, what does that do? It feeds this false idea they have about themselves. What do they need to realize? That they need something. There is something that their wealth can't buy. And that's the love of Christ. It is the forgiveness that Christ offers because it's free. But they have to realize they need it. And if the poor person comes in and we don't regard them 
What do we do? We further everything else the world has said about them. You're not good enough. You're not deserving. But what does Christ say? Even though you're not good enough, even though you're not worthy, I call you worthy. I offer my forgiveness to you. We have to show people Christ's love in the way that they need it. How did Christ deal with the Pharisees? He called them out when they were deserving. But the one rich person that we know was rich that he dealt with, he loved him. He gave him the opportunity, but he knew that that person's wealth got in their way. So who is it that you have the hardest time showing love to? Because if we're all honest with ourselves, there are people we have a hard time showing proper regard to, showing love to. There are many people that I've heard stories about that had a very hard time, people that grew up in the World War II era, that they wouldn't buy a Japanese automobile because they fought against them in World War II. So if that person encountered a Japanese person, can they show them love? Be hard. They have life experience that informs that logic, but what does Christ say? We lay that aside. Because if Christ viewed us the way we deserved, maybe in our minds that they deserve this frustration we have with them, but what do we deserve? Destruction. Judgment. But what do we get? Forgiveness. So when we interact with people, who is it you have a hard time showing regard to? You don't have to tell me. You don't have to tell anyone around you. But you know within your heart who you have a hard time. If they were to walk in here, you'd have a hard time treating them the way Christ would want you to treat them. But what do we see? We can't show favoritism. We can't pick and choose who we love in the name of Christ. We can't pick and choose who we're willing to be a good neighbor to and to love as our neighbor and who we don't. The whole point of the the story of the Good Samaritan is the person you least want to love like your neighbor is the person you're supposed to love like your neighbor. What biases do you have in your life? What things that if if someone told you, hey, if you heard the voice of God audibly say, go love this person in my name, what group of people, what person, what group of people do you have a reason but God? Don't you know what they've done? Don't you know what they've said about us or or, or your people? It's like Jonah in Nineveh. He didn't want to go because he knew they might repent. He, didn't, he, he hated them so much he didn't want to see them come to repentance. And when they did come to repentance, he went and pouted. And God gave him a tree for his little pity party. We have to be aware of what bias we have in our life. What malice we hold. Because all justified wrath and anger that God had against us was put upon Christ for our sake and our benefit. So we can't show bias. We must love our neighbor as ourself, not show favoritism. This is important. Do you know why this is important? It's very important. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder... You're a lawbreaker. 
So favoritism is sin. When we show favoritism to people in our lives, we love one person or group of people this way, but then we see another type of person and we don't quite love them the same. Do you know what that is? We've become judges with evil hearts, and that is sin. We must love and pursue holiness in our life, in all that we do. This morning we talked about being filled with the Spirit, walking with the Spirit in Sunday school, and in the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit does not lead to favoritism. But what do we see here? What do we think in our minds? If we think, well, but favorite is such a small thing. I'm not a murderer, right? I'm not doing these things. At least I'm not like, how many times have you heard that in your life? Maybe from a Christian or a non-Christian. Well, I'm a pretty good person. God wouldn't send me to hell, right? I'm not like these people. I don't do those things. But what does it say? If anyone keeps the law and yet stumbles at one point, is guilty of breaking it all. This is a pass-fail. You are either righteous before God because of your works, or you are unrighteous. It is not a scale of how righteous are you, and as long as you get above this threshold, you have pleased God. I know that's what people want to think. They think about that, that wonderful thing we had with the money, trying to see who would win, the kids or the, or the adults with the offering for the missions. That's how most people view getting into heaven. Well, you know what? Yeah, there was that one time I stole from that, that, that uh, gas station when I was little. I took, a, took some bubble gum. But you know what? Then I, I gave someone $5 for lunch, so that was pretty good. And they're, they're constantly filling the change in, in both sides. Well, I did this bad. I did this good. It's not what it says. It's not what Scripture says. If you break one commandment, if you have transgressed in any way, you're guilty of breaking it all. You are unrighteous. You have not justified yourself. And that's why we see in Scripture, by the law, by the works of the flesh, by the works of the law, no one will be presented as righteous. We are incapable of doing that. We were talking this morning about what sin was, and the easy ones, right? Murder. Murder's a sin. You know what Jesus said about murder? You've heard it said to, 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 to the, our ancestors before us, do not commit murder, but I tell you that if anyone has anger within them toward their brother or sister or says to them, you fool, they are in danger of hellfire. You see, that I love that passage, the whole Sermon on the Mount. Do you know what Jesus does there? He takes things that people knew and thought they were doing right and says, you thought you were doing this well, but I tell you. So you've heard it said, don't murder, but I'm telling you, if you're angry, you're in the same boat. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but if you lust, you're in the same boat. All of these things that Jesus said, you've thought it was this way, but I tell you, the standard that God has is so much higher than what you can keep. Don't show favoritism seems like such a small thing. But it's not. It's sin. And sin is not a small thing. And if we follow God, we're supposed to live by the Spirit, not the flesh. And showing favoritism is a fleshly thing that we do. And so if we want to be aware of the ways that we sin, this is what we talked about this morning, is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. If in any place you see yourself lacking... 
sin is present. If you see yourself lacking patience, there's sin there. It might be small. We might view it as small, but it's there. What does that make us? A transgressor of the law. Breaking one is equivalent to breaking all of them. And our pursuit of of holiness should be all-encompassing, not just picking and choosing where we think we can excel and ignoring the places that are harder for us. And so today, specifically with favoritism, it's not something we can ignore. It's not something we can justify. Well, yeah, maybe they're God tells me to, to love the person that's, that's dirty and poor, but that person's a drug addict. There's no distinction here. You love them because Christ loves them. But yeah, that person might be rich, but they're a nice rich. Well, you can't show them favoritism because God forbids that. And I have to tell you, in, in my own life, I saw this. I saw an example uh, of someone that I knew in my life that had, had fallen into drugs, and I was, I was so like, man, that's such a shame. Such a shame. But you know what's not a shame? That people love that person in the name of Christ. And I got to see that that person got baptized. They got saved. And do you know all that they post now? All, I don't Because I don't get to see this person. But all they post is extremely theologically correct and scriptural stuff about how God has changed their life and will change the life of others. And do you know why that person got saved? Because there was something willing to look past what could turn them away, to get past the exterior, the worldly things, and to love them in the name of Jesus. And just like that, we are to be people of mercy. People of mercy. James 2, 12 through 13. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So the first part of this is the good news to the bad news of the other part. Because if you heard that, I hope you realize that you are guilty. You are a transgressor. You have broken God's law. Whether it's what you view as a small thing, whether it's what you view as a big thing, you have broken God's law. You're guilty of all of it. But the good news is what Jesus Christ has done for us, the the forgiveness that is available to all who believe, all who would have faith in Christ to repent of our sins, to turn from that life, and to believe in Jesus, to believe that our punishment that we deserve was put on him, and that by his wounds we are healed, and that he is raised from the dead, and we are called to walk with him in newness of life. So this is what it means to speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. This means that because we have been saved, he's talking to Christians here, James says, because we've been saved, we are not holding people and judging them in our worldly interactions in the way that we would if we were being judged. So because we aren't being held to account For our sins, because we are being forgiven, we should be people who are forgiving in our life. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does this mean? What does this look like? Jesus tells it very well in one of his parables. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? 
as many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. For some clarification, 10,000 talents is a lot of money. Like, way more than this person is ever going to earn in their lifetime kind of money. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, and his children, and everything had to be sold to pay the debt. And at this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave the loan. That servant went out, found the one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw this had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master told him, You wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you have also had mercy on your, one, on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. So what does it mean to be people of mercy? It's to realize who we are in this story. Because we have broken the law, because we're guilty, we are the servant that owed 10,000 talents. And if I'm not wrong, I'm not telling you I'm 100% right, I think a talent was pretty close to a year's wages for this kind of a servant. A lot of money. It was multiple hundreds of denarii in a talent. A talent was a large sum of money. 10,000 talents. I don't know what he did to rack up that kind of debt, but it was a debt that could not be paid. So he begs for forgiveness. What do we see? Mercy, forgiveness, grace, and then this man, who has just been forgiven from this unpayable debt, goes to his fellow servant, who had a small debt, tells him to pay back what is owed to him. And when he says the same thing, please forgive me, I'll pay it back, throws him in jail. And so because of this, the master had previously forgiven him threw him into prison and, and told him to be tortured till he could pay everything back. This is what we see. So each of you, so my heavenly Father will do with you unless each one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. How can we look at our lives? And this may be the problem today. If you don't identify with this, maybe you're not aware enough of your own sinfulness. The more that you come to know God, the more you realize how deeply sinful you are and how just how hopeless you were without Christ. How much you could not earn your salvation. How much you could not pay your debt. You realize what you were forgiven for. You realize what Christ did for you. But how can we, being people who realize what Christ has done for us, look at those around us who've hurt us, who've wronged us in some way, whether big or small, whether significant or insignificant, whatever it may be, 
and withhold forgiveness from that person. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to interact with that person the same. Someone stole a lot of money from you. Doesn't mean you maybe will entrust them again with a large sum of money. But do you know what you have to do? You have to forgive them in the name of Christ. Because Christ has forgiven you. We must be people who show mercy because we have been shown mercy. And so when we see people, when we interact in the world around us, we cannot show favoritism. We cannot look at people and regard them differently based upon our worldly interactions with them. We have to regard people the way Christ regards people, the way God views them, as people in need of the love of God, people in need of mercy, and because we have been shown mercy, we must show mercy to them, to forgive those who have harmed us and to share the gospel with those in need of it. Regardless of whether they're rich, regardless of whether they're poor, regardless of if we like them or if we don't like them, we ask God to change our hearts because if we have things that keep us from interacting with others, from forgiving others, the problem's not with them. The problem is with us. Because God calls us to be people who show no favoritism, who regard all people the way Christ has regarded them, to be people who are forgiving, pursuing holiness. And if that's not who we are, we need to seek God and ask Him to forgive us for that sin in our life and to change our heart to be more like His, to help us to be more obedient to the way the Spirit leads us in our life. And so this morning... As we come to this time of invitation, as we come to this time where Becky will come and lead us in a time of invitation, I want to invite you to reflect on your life. In what ways do you need to conform to how God views others around you? Do you have any bias, any favoritism in your life, any people that you have a hard time loving? Ask that God would give you the ability to do that. I'm not expecting you or me or anybody in themselves to be good enough to do that. That comes through the Holy Spirit that lives within us. That comes from God. Or maybe today you're sitting here and you realize that you're guilty of breaking God's laws. You realize that you need forgiveness. Maybe you've never asked for it. Today is the day to, to come to Christ, to ask Him for forgiveness, to come to know Him as your Savior. The altar will be open during this time to pray, to seek God, and I'll be down front for prayer as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us, all the ways that you've loved us. And God, I pray that during this time, as we seek to, to be obedient to you, we seek to follow you, I pray that you would help challenge us to live our lives for you. Challenge us to regard people the way you regard them. Challenge us to not show favoritism. To, to seek holiness, to, to not overlook the small things we're disobedient in, and to be people who show mercy because we've been shown mercy. If there's anyone here that's dealing with something, seeking to be, a, be convicted to be, follow in obedience to you, whether it's salvation or anything else, Lord, I pray that they would do that today.